Hello and welcome to Talking With The Experts and my name is Rose Davidson from rosedavidson.com and Talking With The Experts is about all things business by business owners for business owners and you can find it on all good podcasting streaming platforms and on YouTube and today it is my pleasure to have Marcel Pitipas. I'm hoping that's correct and he'll probably correct me afterwards. <laughs> And his name, his business is the uh, Parakeeto. Well, that's um, parakeets. We've got parakeets in Australia, so hopefully it's it's um, something similar to that. And we'd be discussing how to make services profitable and scalable. Now, that's an interesting topic because um, with uh, what's happening in the world at the moment, um, it's a little bit difficult to do that. So hopefully Marcel has some great tips. So welcome, Marcel, and thank you for joining me today. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me, Rose. Uh, you did a pretty good job on my last name. It's funny, I, I threw that in uh, and Parakeeto on top of it, two very difficult to pronounce names, and I didn't give you any help. So good job. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> Yeah, well, we do have parakeet tea, which um, so it's not a lot of difference there, but um, the O sort of put me off a little bit. Anyway, so you help professional services and digital marketing businesses and anyone offering services to improve their profitability, and you That's help correct. business to business and SaaS companies start and scale. So tell me a little bit more about how you do that. Yeah, so um, our whole MO at Parakeeto is helping service businesses run more profitably. Um, and that really came out of running service businesses ourselves and realizing that there isn't really great tooling out there to answer simple questions like, did we make money on this project? Did we make money on this client? You know, it's hard to answer those questions with the types of tools that we're typically using for tracking time and managing projects and doing accounting without building a spreadsheet and spending a bunch of time in there crunching numbers. And so we just thought this is too hard. Um, we should have easier ways to do this. And the math isn't super obvious either. Should you be including overhead when you're calculating your profitability for a project, for example? These are little questions that once you get into the nuance, you're not really sure how to answer. And there's not a lot of great information out there. So we kind of took it upon ourselves to say, let's start producing content around this kind of boring, very tactical part of running a service business that no one's talking about. We started doing consulting around that, helping people understand how to measure these things, how to interpret this data and how to act upon it. And now we're building software to help automate uh, some of the processes of tracking and measuring profitability inside of service businesses. Um, and that's really where that whole thing came from. And then, you know, in my spare time of which I don't really have any, uh, I also coach other software companies on how to grow and scale with my good friend, mentor and investor, Dan Martell, who, you know, that's what he does for a living is, is uh, coaches people on these topics. Right. Oh, that's really great. Um, so what's the difference between what you do and, and a, a CRM. Yeah, so um, our tool is really designed for helping um, understand the unit economics of projects. So a CRM is really about um, tracking clients uh, throughout their life cycle, mostly in the sales process, right? Um, and they're typically not going to have a lot of functionality for things like tracking time, tracking expenses, tracking financials, and then giving you um, really detailed spe specific KPIs on your business, uh, like what was your average billable rate over you know, X time period or across X subsection of services or clients, or what is the utilization rate for your team? How much of your team's time is being used for doing billable work for clients, things like that. Um, you could 
hire a, <laughs> a very expensive uh, custom software development firm to, you know, do a bunch of modifications to your CRM to get it to do things like that, but it's not really feasible for most small businesses to get there. So where we focus is helping you estimate projects accurately, structure the data out of that estimate in such a way that it uh, actually corresponds to your time tracking and cost tracking so that you can create a feedback loop between the assumptions that you're creating when you estimate a project and what actually happens and then get insight into where you're being inefficient, where you're leaving money on the table, where you're going over budget and things of that nature. Okay. So um there is a lot of focus on services and um and uh and the great way to start and validate a product or software business or um mm -hmm. or add high margin revenue to an existing business so um how how does one think about uh, architecting service offerings for high scalability and profitability yeah, I mean, it all starts with making sure that you have enough gross margin in your service. Um, just like a software product or any other product, if there's not enough gross margin, then there's not enough room for you to have the appropriate amount of overhead and really run the business in a sustainable way. And I think this is the thing that a lot of service entrepreneurs kind of get um, lost on is when they start having cash flow issues or when they start feeling like their margins are really tight, they're looking in the wrong place often to solve that problem. They're looking at saving a couple hundred bucks a month on their bookkeeping or cutting some software expenses. And usually the problem is that their service is fundamentally not spitting off enough free cash flow and it, the fundamental operations of their business are not profitable. So when you design a service, you want to be aiming for anywhere from 50 to probably close to 70% gross margin so that you can have enough room to carry about 25% overhead in your business and then still net out at 20, 25% uh, EBITDA at the end of the year. And that sounds absolutely crazy to a lot of people, but um, all the agencies that I work with in consulting that do well, they're able to achieve these things. Um, and then when we start talking about the nitty gritty of this, there's a lot of questions that come up like, well, how do you calculate gross margin? What do you leave in? What do you leave out? Um, and I'm happy to go into detail on that, but that's the high level is just making sure that when you're designing a service offering that you're scoping out how much time it's going to take to get that done. You're scoping out what the external expenses or pastor expenses you're going to have are going to be. And when you look at the adjusted income for that service, so that's everything that belongs to you after you've paid external vendors or paid for other tools or paid for materials, whatever belongs to you, you want to have a margin on that of 50 to 70%. And if you do that, then everything else gets easier because you've got the margin to run the business and have a little bit of cash to play with, experiment with, uh, et cetera. Yeah, I was gonna. That was my next question. Um, so, how how do businesses think about pricing and scoping their services? Yeah, so I mean, we've got a model for this, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. Of course, you see people that are doing time and materials; they're billing by the hour. There's different flavors of time and materials that we're starting to see now. So we're seeing um, longer time horizons. So weeks, sprints, you know, for agile teams, maybe they're selling two week intervals, monthly intervals. Um, and some of them are doing that on a flat rate, but others are doing this on really a time and materials method where they're leasing a team for that time period. So they're saying, we're going to give you a full-time developer and a designer and some architecture support for $10,000 a month. And that is just another way of doing time and materials. You're fixing the scope as it relates to the time that you're allocating for a single person. And then there's also this abstracted model that we see sometimes, which is, you know, taking um, the conversation away from hours and using some kind of like alternative um, 
the currency. So there's uh, one agency that I know that does this well called Penguin Strategies, where they have credits. And whenever you pay them a monthly fee, you get credits in return and then each deliverable. So you could order a graphic design asset or you could order, you know, some modifications to your website and they bill you in credits. And of course, in the back end, they know what a credit is worth in terms of hours and time. But to the client, it abstracts the conversation from the hourly rate, which I think is a, is a helpful exercise for potentially getting that up. Um, but a lot of clients are not really expecting to pay time and materials anymore. And a lot of agencies don't want to charge in time and materials. So you're seeing a lot more flat pricing and a lot more value-based pricing. And a question I get a lot is, well, how do I figure out which one's right for me? And the way we think about this is you want to assess kind of two things. Number one, what is the relative value of your service to your client? And number two, what's the level of risk in that service offering? So relative value, you can think about that in two ways. Number one, what service are you selling? Is it something that's very commoditized? For example, graphic design that's not you know really differentiated, that's not really complex, that just about anybody can do, doesn't require a lot of interpretation, or is it more strategic type of service? That's going to determine you know to some extent what the value is. But the second thing that can't be overlooked is what is the relative value to your client? So we could say, for example, designing a logo. What's the value of that? Well, the value of that's very different to your local restaurant that does a $200,000 a year um, you know, revenue versus an airline that has a $50 million print budget on this new logo. They have to put on a fleet of airplanes and thousands of airports. That airline might be willing to pay a million dollars for a logo, if nothing else, just to de-risk it, whereas your local restaurant might pay you a few hundred dollars for that. The scope of the work might not be drastically different, but the relative value to that client based on the size of their problem changes the value, value dynamic. So that's the first thing to think about is where does your service land on the value axis? And then you can think about this as a quadrant. Horizontally, we're thinking about risk. So when I talk about risk, it's really what is the risk of the scope of this work? Are you developing custom software on new technologies that are not very well documented or supported, doing things that you've never done before? That's gonna be super high risk. It's gonna be almost impossible to estimate how much time that's gonna take. Uh, anybody that develops software knows you don't really know what you're getting into until you're into it already. Whereas if you're building um, a WordPress website for a legal firm and you've done 500 legal websites on the same WordPress template with most of the same copy, and you can scope these things to within, you know, 5% of, you know, the, the estimated scope, then that's very low risk work. So the way we think about this is anything that's high risk, it's going to be time and materials. And if you're on the higher end of the value axis, then you're going to move to more abstracted models of doing time and materials. So you might sell weekly sprints, you might sell monthly sprints, and you're fixing a team on that. Um, and you're getting away from the conversation of the hourly rate, and you're getting into usually higher hourly rates because you're abstracting it more, but you still want to be in the time materials realm if you're dealing with high risk work. If it's lower risk, and it's high value, that's where you get into value based pricing. So you're having a conversation with the client about what is the outcome that our work could produce for you? And you're trying to base your pricing on that. So for example, if doubling the conversion rate of an online store that does a million dollars a month in revenue is going to get them an extra $12 million in revenue this year, then you might say, okay, well, we want 20% of that potential upside. So you might be able to charge a ridiculous amount of money for the work relative to the scope. Um, but that's where you really start to push your margins into extremely high uh, EBITDA uh, kind of 
potential ranges where you're doing 80, 90% gross margins. If you're doing very um, low risk work, that's lower on the value scale. That's when you typically get into flat rate pricing. So we charge, you know, a thousand dollars a month for this website, or we charge $500 a month for, you know, these types of design deliverables. And again, that gets you away from talking about the hourly rate, which typically allows you to push that up a little bit. It de-risks things for the client and typically makes it a little more palatable to sell to them. And it allows you to, you know, lean into the ability that you can accurately scope this thing. And you still have a fairly good idea of what your margins are going to look like. So those are some different ways to think about where your services should land on that kind of pricing quadrant. Yeah, we, um, you know, I don't, I used to charge an hourly rate, but um, people would, you know, you might spend four hours doing something um, where if you charge a flat rate, then, you know, you could spend an hour on and still get paid the flat rate. So I would rather do a flat rate because I know that it's not going to take me as long. And if it takes longer, well, you know, that's my problem. You know, you can't, you can't just ask them for extra money. But I think a flat yeah. rate model is is probably preferable to to uh, a time or a uh, an hourly rate. But that's just you know personal preference. But yeah. and it's interesting, isn't it? Like the the psychology behind this, where you could be selling the exact same thing to a client for the exact same price, but that conversation of hey, it's five hundred dollars for this, and they're like, oh great, 500 bucks, no problem. But if you said it's $250 an hour, because I can do it in two hours, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, oh, that's crazy, yeah, exactly. $250 an hour. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's, yeah, it's the psychology of it because I think, well, you know, $250 an hour, and but they don't know how long it's going to take me to do it. So, and I don't tell them. So there's no, you know, so it's a win-win yeah. for them. But it's a bit of, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, well, it's not dishonest, it's just, how it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's really about, you know, this whole service business industry, it's about providing an outcome to the clients. And if they're willing to pay a certain amount of money to solve a problem, and you're able to get that problem solved for them, it's to everyone's benefit that you as a service business are making a decent enough margin on that, because that allows you to hire better people have better service, you know, like, run your business well, you have the extra resources to do that. And at the end of the day, the client gets the outcome that they want for a price that's palatable to them. And how you package that is really just a mechanism for you to maximize the value that's created in that exchange. Absolutely. So um, another question is um, how to how does a business owner um, get their team improving um, profitability within the business without um, baking that process into your business DNA? Yeah. So that's a really great question. And this is something that I get asked about a lot, right? Is a lot of folks, the way, the model that we teach is a flywheel method where we have two feedback loops we want to create in the service business. The first is, is purely data. It's about what would do we estimate was going to happen on a project and then just being able to measure that. And that really just comes down to having that data being formatted in the right way so that it doesn't take you forever to answer that question. And, you know, for those that are listening, you might be wondering, do I have that problem? Well, if you hold up an estimate for a project and then you go and hold up a timesheet and they look very different from each other, like the estimate says design hours, dev hours, project management hours, and then your timesheet says like two hours for copywriting, wireframe, UX, front end, you know, just, and it and doesn't match up, then you have this problem. It takes you way too much time to reconcile what did you estimate and what actually happened. So when you can simplify that, and then get to a place where in a couple of minutes, you can pull up a report and say, okay, here's the projects that went the way we thought. Here's the ones that didn't. Now you're empowered to go sit down with your team and just ask questions about why. 
why did this project go so much better than we thought? Like it took us half the amount of time that we thought it was going to take. What did we do differently here? What can we replicate from this project and apply to others or projects that don't go as planned? You can have that same conversation. What did we miss here? Did we misscope this? Did something happen with this client that was unique? Uh, is there something going on in our process that's holding you back from doing this efficiently? And what we want to do is engage the team in providing feedback to us about the processes that, and the tools and, and the resources that we're giving them to do their job and getting them giving us ideas on how to make that more efficient. And the beauty of that is when they're the ones surfacing the ideas, then they're much more likely to be bought into actually applying, maintaining, and following those processes in the business. And we don't have to be in a position where, you know, I think most of us have been where we're trying to define processes and push them down to the team. And they don't understand necessarily why we're doing this. They don't understand how it's going to benefit them. They just know that they need to change what they've been doing and what they've been comfortable with. And the buy-in just isn't there. So this is really the process that I encourage a lot of folks to take on is get your data straight, use that data to inform what kind of conversations you're going to have with the team and then engage your team in the process of helping you make the business more predictable. And if you're wondering why would they want to do that? Well, at the end of the day, if you can predict how long it's going to take a project to get done, then it decreases the likelihood that they have to work late on Friday because there's an extra 10 hours that need to get done. And where's that going? The deadline is still Friday night, right? So we want to get to a place where we're predicting and then accurately executing on projects so that everybody gets their evenings and weekends back. We still have you know, good profitability and margin. We don't have to ask the team to work overtime to subsidize the fact that we didn't scope things right. And if we can frame this whole exercise around that, then it, it should create an environment where your team is motivated and bought into the idea of making everything more efficient because it means they're buying back their time and still making the business profitable enough that you know they get paid, they have a good job and, and you can provide a good working environment for them. Yeah, I do believe in, in, um, in, you know, when you're managing a team that the team should always have some input into what's going on into any project. You know, it, it shouldn't be um, just from the top down. I think it should be from the bottom up. That's just my philosophy on, on the workplace. But, you know, not everyone agrees with that. But uh, I don't I think it makes for a happy workplace if it's just always managed from the top. Yeah, and I mean, as you scale the business, who is better qualified to tell you what is and isn't working at the tactical level than the people that are actually doing that work? I mean, you know, when you're still a small agency, maybe six, seven, eight, nine people, as the founder, you're probably still relatively in touch with what's going on on the front end. But as soon as you get to a scale where you've got a couple of layers of management between you and the work that's getting done, I mean, it, it's, it would be unreasonable to ask you to figure out how to do that work properly because you're so out of touch with it. So it, it both, it takes you away from that position of being a bottleneck in the process and empowers your team to get involved. And you know this probably as well as I do, change management 101, you read any book on change management, take any course on change management. The first thing they talk about is get buy-in, get people who are going to be impacted by the process involved in creating the process. Absolutely. It's like the most yeah. fundamental aspect. So um, yeah, I totally agree with you. That bottom-up approach is really effective. Yeah. So, um, well, so tell me a little bit more about, um, your, your app that you're developing and, you know, why is it different from other project management applications and pro, uh, programs? Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that we do fundamentally differently is we take data about past projects and use it to inform estimates about new ones. Um, so when we started doing a lot of customer development around the estimation process, 
And we were asking people, what do you do? What do you like? What do you not like about your process? We found that there's a couple of really key problems. The first is that it's time consuming. A lot of time when it comes to scoping work, it's the most expensive or experienced people in the organization that are doing it because it's so subjective and they need their eight years of experience doing hundreds of projects to kind of finesse the way that they're estimating this project. Um, and oftentimes it involves getting all the team leads in a room for four hours. When, when you think about how much that's costing you in terms of billable time, you could be spending thousands of dollars on estimates. And the fact that it relies on those people means that if they're busy, it might take a week, two weeks to get an estimate out to a client. So that can really hurt your close rate. It can hurt the sales process. So there were some fundamental problems there. And when we asked them, what do you do to try to make the estimate more accurate? A lot of them said, well, we look for projects that seem similar to this one that we've done in the past. And then we use that as a basis and make changes relative to that. So we said, okay, that's, that's an interesting idea. Let's make that easier. So what our tool essentially does is allows you to connect your time tracking tool, choose any project that you think is similar to the one that you're estimating, and then see exactly how your estimate compares to those projects in real time. And it gets broken down by the functional tasks that you would track time against. So for example, if you track time against design development and project management on different projects, then it's going to break out your data in those different ways. And then you'll be able to compare your estimates for each of those functional areas to the different projects that you've done in the past. And it also uses some intelligence to create some custom algorithms for you about how much your effort on those different services go up as client budget go up or as different inputs are modified. So it gives you kind of some assisted intelligence to make sure that you're accurately estimating and that your estimates are realistic. And then it allows you to go and model how much profitability you're going to have based on who's working on it, how much you're going to charge the client and really help you figure out what do you need to charge to hit your profitability goals on that project. Um, and then finally, it helps you output a structured estimate that allows you to easily go set up your time tracking tool to map back to that so that you can answer the question later of, did this go the way we thought it was going to or not? Um, and we're working on some better features to actually track all of that inside of our tool, which we're really excited about. Well, great stuff. Okay, so it's obviously it's still in development or um, is it in beta at the moment? It is open to the public now uh, for Harvest users exclusively. So if you use Harvest to track your time, then you can start using Parakeeto today. So it's, uh, I guess it's not in beta for Harvest, but it is for everybody else. Um, but if you're not using Harvest and you think what we're doing is cool, um, just go do a re uh, an integration request on our website and we'll notify you as soon as uh, we're able to integrate with the tool that you happen to be using. Um, and you also get access to all the content that we're producing just providing more information on some of this stuff that we're talking about today, how to price, how to scope, how to improve your margins. Uh, that's all we talk about. It's pretty nerdy, but it's helpful if you want to make more money. Absolutely. So where can we find Parakeeto, Marcel? Yeah, so you can uh, head over to parakeeto.com. That's the, kind of the main website. And if you're interested in getting some free resources to help you implement some of the things that we talked about today, you can go to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. And we've got our agency profitability toolkit that has some training videos, some free spreadsheets, resources, and cheat sheets to help you really um, quickly implement some of the things that we discussed today. And if you want to follow me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Marcel Petipaw. I'm wearing the same shirt and all of my profile pictures. So I'm easy to spot and uh, feel free to reach out. I love to nerd out about profitability. So if there's anything I can do to be helpful, feel free to send me a message there on LinkedIn. Perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, any uh, last words before we finish up ourselves? Yeah, so the, the last thing that I will say is, you know, start simplifying your data so that you can answer this simple question of, 
did we estimate this project properly? Did what we think was going to happen actually happen? If you can do that and make it easy for yourself to answer that question and go back and answer it, you know, on a regular basis, bi-weekly, monthly, you will get so much insight into your business. It will become extremely obvious where you're leaving money on the table. And I can almost promise you just based on our experience consulting that there'll be two or three changes, two or three tweaks that you can make that are going to, you know, be the 80, 20, that are going to be the reason that you really increase your profitability significantly. Um, so I highly, highly encourage you to just take a moment and go and audit the way that you're structuring your data in your time tracking tool to answer that question. And you'll be glad you did. So if there's one thing you take away from our talk today, it's do that. Uh, and that will help you get uh, a tremendous amount of insight into how you can improve your profits. Oh, that's a great tip. Thank you so much for that. All right, Marcel, well, time's up for us, unfortunately, but um, it's been a real great pleasure talking to you and perhaps we can talk later in the year. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Rose. It was a pleasure and I uh, hope everyone got some value today. I'm sure they did. Thank you.